Well, good morning. It's good to see you all in worship this morning. Um, I heard Mark Lieber did a great job last week talking about uh, what makes the cross so special and uh, why the cross is important uh, for who we are as believers, as the defining uh, point of history and in our lives and uh, how that's unique for us. So thanks to uh, Mark Lieber and a whole bunch of folks um, who helped make last week happen. Eric Brown and I, Eric and I were um, off at a convention for the week and had a, had a good time of refreshment together, uh, time learning about um, who we are and where we come from as, as, as a movement um, in our non-denominational denomination um, of Christian churches. Uh, so that was an education a little bit for Eric. If he has these sort of glazed over eyes like deers in headlight, like a deer in headlights, it's because he spent a week with my dad and me. And, uh, and, and that, that, that can do a number on anybody, believe me. So uh, today we jump back into prayer. It's the last two weeks of our series, our four-week series on prayer. Uh, we're going to cover the concept this week of uh, petitionary prayer. Uh, that's prayer that, are, prayer that is requests about ourselves, requests that we make known to God. And next week we're going to talk about intercessory prayer. Uh, that's requests we make. That's petitions for others uh, on another's behalf. It, it involves interceding, um, acting as a mediator on behalf of someone else. So, so this week, petitionary prayers, us. Next week, intercessory prayer uh, for other people. So as we jump in, let's go ahead and, uh, and ask God to, to instruct us through his spirit. Father in heaven, we bow again asking for you to move among us, that your spirit would continue to shape and inform us, that our hearts and minds would be attuned with you and your will for our lives. Lord, it's easy to say, it's easy to, to think but it's hard for us to do. And so we ask that you would use today as an opportunity for the gathered body of Christ to continue to be about, as we just prayed in that Lord's Prayer, as you prayed as a model for us, that we would be people whose lives are marked by your will and not ours. So instruct us and set our hearts aright as we open your word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm going to tell you a quick story about a famished voyager. Um, anybody here ever been on a cruise? Anybody ever been on a cruise? Number of folks out there? All right. Cool. Um, we've never been, but I am told um, that the food on a cruise ship is just, is just amazing. I am told that, that on a cruise ship, the food is just awesome. And, and, and if you go to one of those buffets, the, the buffet has this huge spread of fancy food, tons of fruits and vegetables. And, and apparently there are a couple of folks on the kitchen crew whose job it is to pretty much just do nothing but make sure it looks cool. Um, so I, I've shown a couple pictures here. I've gathered a few pictures about the kind of fare that you can expect on a, on a cruise ship. It's that big spread of a buffet there. And, and then, you know, somebody... Uh, is creative enough to come up with this flock of birds with squash and things like that. Um, somebody has turned this, this watermelon into a ship there. And uh, uh, buffets are great. Cool displays are nice. Ice sculptures are cool and all. But the bottom right-hand corner is what I'm talking about. <laughs> so there's a man 
who was traveling across the Atlantic on a cruise ship. And he was going to save some money by not eating in those ship's restaurants on his cruise. And so he packed for himself enough cheese and crackers to last him the whole time so that he could save some money. But on the last day of the voyage, he decided, all right, I got some left over here. So I'm going to splurge, and I'm going to go and have dinner at one of these cool restaurants on the ship before he got off. And when he got to the restaurant, those of you who have been on a cruise may know where I'm going with this. He gets there, and he notices there are no prices on the menus for these meals. And he asks the server, and guess what he finds out? The cost of the meals are included in his ticket. Poor old soul. That poor guy. The cost of the meals, the cost of the meals was included in his ticket. All he would have had to do to eat from that spread is to ask. All he had to do to eat from that incredible buffet was to place his order. Because he misunderstood the system. He misunderstood the power that, that was inherent in that ticket. He failed to receive what was already rightly his. Friends, there are many Christians today who are a lot like those famished voyagers, a lot like that guy. Christians who are spiritually impoverished because they do not realize all that they have to do is ask to receive what God intends for them. Today we unpack the idea that God gives his spiritual riches to those who unceasingly ask him. God desires with his whole heart, the infinite God of the universe, who created all that is, desires with his whole heart to give you his spiritual riches if you ask for them. In 1 John 5, God's word tells us how we can be sure that, that we don't miss out on what God has for us. So please turn there if you haven't already. And uh, read, read together with me if you've got your scriptures open. We're not going to have it on, on, uh, on the slides today. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Let's refresh our memories here again. Uh, this is 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. I'm reading from the ESV, so it may be different than what you're reading from. Uh, so read along if you can. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that is, toward God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. There are three parts to this verse we're going to, to unpack today. The first is that, is that we can have confidence in approaching God. Confidence in approaching God. It's that first part of verse 14 there where it says, this is the confidence that we have toward him. This passage encourages us to ask with confidence so that we will receive what we ask of him if done in accordance with his will. There are three truths about this confidence that undergird this idea of approaching God. This isn't a sort of vain hope kind of, I wish it were to happen feeling. 
This is a rooted hope kind of confidence that approaches God because we know, because we know these things about God and how he operates with his people. First is we know who he is and what he has done. Our confidence, number one, is based on who God is. Our confidence in prayer is based on who God is. I mentioned that there would be uh, three things about the confidence. I'm sorry, there are only two. Uh, the two things are is that we know who God is and we know what he does. The first is that we, we can ask out of confidence based on who God is. You see, confidence in prayer isn't because there is some sort of uh, a formula or a law of the universe where there's a cause and effect interaction between us and God as if it were based on our performance and goodness because it's based on who God is. Your confidence in prayer isn't because of you. It's because of who God is. It starts with that confidence from his nature as a good God, as a good God who graciously gives from himself. Listen to David's prayer in Psalm 86. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer from King David in Psalm 86. You see, David here in Psalm 86 knows that his confidence in prayer comes from God's character and his nature. Listen to verses 4 and 5 here. It says, Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Now, verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. He's praying for joy in the midst of a sorrowful circumstance. We know that from verse 4 and also from verse 14 later on. And yet, even in the middle of his cry for help, in this lament, David knows with confidence that God wants with his whole heart to deliver David from his sorrow and his fear, to provide for him a joy and a victory, because that's the kind of God that David knows he serves. So he says in verse 5, he says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. David is saying, Hello, God. I'm calling on you. I'm calling on you because I know that you want to help me. He says the same kind of thing in a parallel in that uh, chapter that happens in verses 14 and 15. If you're open there, look at that there. Verse 14, it says, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. Verse 15, this is where he talks about the confidence. But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We hear David strike the same chord at the end of Psalm 23 that we know so well. It says, surely, surely goodness and mercy. Those are characteristics of God. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's claiming the confidence that a good God has our best in mind. Matthew 7 says it. It's Jesus speaking. 7, 9 to 11, if you're taking notes. In 7, 9 to 11, Jesus is speaking and he says, Just ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks 
receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which one of you, if, if your son asks you for bread, will give him a stone? Or if your, your son asks for a fish, you will give him a serpent? And then he contrasts us with the character and nature of God. And he says, if you then who are evil, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God in the flesh speaking, Jesus here communicates to us that God wants to, as it said in verse 11 there, he wants to give good things to those who ask him. And that, that good stuff starts with God. We can have confidence in approaching him because we know his character and his nature as a good God. It's also because we know what he's done. Our confidence to approach the throne of God is based on knowing who God is, but also what he has done. We know his nature because we've seen it work in the lives of people throughout history and ourselves. Romans 8 says, Paul says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, that is with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Our confidence to approach God comes from knowing who he is and what he has done. Many of you may remember our uh, scripture memory verse from the Hebrews series we just did. Hebrews 4.16 talks about that confidence, if you remember. Hebrews 4.16, it challenges us to approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And so remember in Hebrews, that confidence comes because we know that Jesus, as our high priest, has gone before us and done the work that we could not. And so we've seen that work. And our confidence to approach him is because of who God is and what he's done for us. There are conditions for those who petition God. Conditions for those who petition God. This comes from the second half of that verse in 1 John, the fifth chapter. The second half of that verse 14 in 1 John 5. It says, this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We're going to unpack that just a little bit here. There are a few conditions for petitionary prayer to be in place. The first is that we must ask. Wow, that's profound, Scott. We must ask. The verse there is clear. It says, if we ask anything. It assumes asking in the first place. Other scriptures convey the same meaning, of course, and the same um, idea, that, that your, your Father in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. James talks about this. He reminds his readers, and his readers were people there who were, who were spiritually poor, immature, dead faith, spiritually mature people who were lacking faith. And James says, you don't have because you don't ask. So you've got to ask. It sounds elementary. 
But when statistics demonstrate that for the last 20 years or so, even a little more than that, the average believer in America prays about three minutes a day, it's not elementary to say we've got to ask. Asking is first. Second, we have to ask out of an active and a living faith as the second condition. We have to ask out of an active and a living faith. Now, we think of faith as a set of doctrines or beliefs. Like this is the faith we have received. This is the faith we profess. And that is true, but, but that's not most of the way that the New Testament uses that word faith. What we're talking about here as an active and a living faith is, that, is a faith that knows from personal experience how God is going to act because you've seen him act. This is faith that knows from personal experience how God works because you've seen it and have experienced it in your own life. This is the knowledge that God will act in accordance with his purpose and his promises and his plan. Turn with me for just a second here to James, the first chapter. James 1, 5 to 8. It's going to highlight this for a little bit uh, here for us. James 1, 5 to 8. It will shed some light on this kind of faith because James here it describes uh, the person who asks for spiritual riches and it contrasts that kind of person with the spiritually poor person, the spiritual pauper who does not have that kind of living and active and demonstrated faith. It says this, James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. That is an active and a living faith. In contrast to what follows, verse 6, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea who is tossed, uh, a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, now note the important factor here. The one who receives spiritual wisdom here is not the double-minded man who is tossed by the wind, but the one, verse 6, it says, the one who asks in faith. The one who asks in faith. That kind of personal faith necessitates a living and an active and a growing relationship with God. You've got to know Him from His Word, from the Spirit teaching you through the Word and through other people, through your experience, through your worship, through all of those elements coming together. You've got to know Him so that you can see God's work in your life. And you can name it as such. So that when you ask, it will be from an active and living faith. I was talking with somebody from church this, uh, this week about this particular point. That is that our, that our prayer life flows from our active and living relationship with God. I was talking about this with someone this week. And they were making the point that, that this kind of prayer must flow from an active 
and growing relationship. You've got, you've got to have that kind of relationship with that person. And, th- and this person says this. He says, yeah, it's like this. If I'm going to have someone come wire my house for electricity so that it actually worked, I would know better than to ask you. And I said, you got that right. You don't want to ask me. And that person knew me well enough. That person knows if I leave my electrical wiring in the hands of Scott Wakefield, it will never work. And in fact, the person said, I know not to ask you. I know to ask Joe Birchnell. And, and, and so he knows that relationship with Joe, and he knows me well enough that, that, that it's not even in, there's no point in asking me. He has a relationship. And that's a little bit of a, a, a silly example. But that person, that person who knows God in a living and an active relationship, whose prayer life comes from a, a growing faith relationship with God, knows what to pray for and how to pray. If our prayer life flows out of that kind of an active and a relationship with God that is living and growing, our prayer life will be motivated by God's heart and His concerns and His will. The other condition for prayer that that gives us spiritual riches is that we must ask with a clean heart and an obedient spirit. A clean heart and an obedient spirit. We talked about Psalm 66 before. David reminds us in Psalm 66 that men and women who hold sin in their hearts will not receive from the Lord. Listen to the message uh, on Psalm 66. Uh, I'm going to read 16 through 19. It says, uh, All believers, this is David speaking, All believers come here and listen. Let me tell you what God did for me. That sounds to me like an active and living faith. And then verse 17. It says, I called out to him with my mouth. My tongue shaped the sounds of music. And this is where the clean heart and obedient spirit comes in. It says, if I had been cozy with evil, the Lord would never have listened. If I had been cozy with evil, the Lord would never have listened. How how many of us are still cozy with evil or sin that hinders a relationship with God? That, that motivates us to prayer from, from a clean heart, an obedient spirit. David pleads with God to renew the right spirit, to renew a right spirit in him after his sin with Bathsheba. God is, God is always ready to help us do what pleases him. God is eager to contribute to an obedient lifestyle and a clean and pure heart. So set yourself on a path of obedience and pray boldly for him to help you, give you spiritual riches. The last basic condition of our passage here comes from 1 John 5. As a reminder there, it says this in verse 14. This is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The last and perhaps the most basic condition of this verse that sums up all the other conditions is that we must ask in accordance with God's will. 
We must ask in accordance with His will, His desire, His purposes and plan. It means asking for the very things that God wants you to have. Things like the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Things like love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You want to know what God's will is for you? It's those things. If you ask for, for wisdom, for spiritual enlightenment, and power, for, for a closer walk with God, for the filling of the Spirit in your life, for a renewed mind, for devotion to His Word, for greater depth in prayer, for abiding, for living with Christ, for grace upon grace, and any other spiritual blessing He wants to give, you are asking in accordance with God's will. The Bible mentions hundreds of good gifts that are in accordance with God's will. But if, on the other hand, your asking is motivated by selfish ambition or wrong motives or sinful desires, you should not expect to receive those kinds of gifts from the Lord. If, for you, as is the case with a lot of us, we end up asking for candy and comforts. Do you expect that's God's will for your life? I mean, just look at our personal prayer lists in our lives and the things that we ask for. Very rarely are we asking for love. Lord, cultivate in me a kind and gentle spirit. How many of your prayer petitions are, Father, grant me the patience I don't have for that person you love? How much of your prayer life is consumed with thoughts of, God, change my, my bitter heart so that I care about the things that you care about? God's first concern is not your circumstance. God's first priority is Him receiving glory in you and I becoming the people of God who reflect that glory to the world. And so His first concern is not going to be paying off your student loans, even though that would be nice. I've made that mistake like all of us have. Lord, I, I really need this, this thing because if I can just get over that hump, I'll be okay. And then, Lord, I am, I'm going to dedicate my life to you. Everything I get from then on is going to be for you. God's first priority for your life, His will, is most definitively this, for you to be fashioned after His likeness. To become the kind of person who loves what God loves. To cultivate in your life an environment where God's Spirit lives and increasingly fills those, those areas of your life that need Him. 
Our connection card prayer requests should be more about the things that are on God's heart than yours and mine in our selfish desires. Are we praying? Are we praying for God's will? Or are we really praying for ours? I wish we had more time to talk about the nature of God's will because I think it's, I think it's a very under, misunderstood and, and a maligned concept. Uh, but suffice it to say for, for us today that knowing God's will requires knowing God's word through the Spirit. If you want to know what God's will is, get in the word and pray for the Spirit to instruct you. You can be in the word and not know his will. But you cannot know his will without being in his word. Knowing the will of God requires knowing the word of God. And so when we, when we begin to pray in accordance with God's will, we become like uh, the man who I found, his name was Ivan. Ivan was a believer who uh, endured all of the horrors of a, of a Soviet prison camp and uh, he was a man whose, whose circumstances uh, felt and seemed and looked hopeless from every angle. But he was a man who had faith in God, who prayed from obedient and pure heart in accordance with God's will. And one day when he was praying, there was another prisoner who noticed him and began to ridicule him and say, prayers won't help you get out of here any faster. And Ivan answered, I do not pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God. Is that your prayer? Is that my prayer? For us as the people of God, is our prayer to do the will of God. Lastly, we close with the last verse in chapter 5 there. Verse 15 talks about the certainty that we can have in petitioning God. That is, when we ask from a pure heart, when, when we're asking in accordance with his will, that we know that he hears us. We can know that the God of the universe, who has inexhaustible power and might, actually hears us. That he is tuned to what we have asked. We know this to be true. It's, it's almost like when we pray in this way, it's almost like God on His throne, when He hears your request, He smiles, He, he nods approvingly, saying, My child cares about what I care about. And he looks at the Son and the Holy Spirit and he says, carry out that request. How amazing is that, friends? That we serve a God who has all power and might and hears the requests of our heart and says, that child of mine is asking for something I want to give. just a moment here, Eric and uh, the band are going to come up and we're going to sing a song of response. Um, but as that happens, I, I, want, I want us to do something today. Uh, instead of just talking about prayer, I want us to spend a little bit of time doing that. 
And uh, so this week and next week, I'm going to ask you to get into groups of about four or five, just with others around you right now in just, in just a moment here. And I want to instruct us um, in our time together in these groups to simply be people who pray for spiritual riches, for, for growth and maturity in our lives with God, to, to be about our prayers, for our prayers together now to be those kinds of requests for one another. Lord, engender in us the kind of community where we care about what you care about. Lord, I pray for this person that you would give them a spirit of love and patience and kindness. Lord, I recognize in this person next to me that you have given them this kind of presence and gift in their life. I want that, Lord. Help me to learn from this person. Whatever that looks like in your groups, maybe something we've not done before that you've not done, that's okay. You don't have to pray. Don't. But we want you in groups of four or five for just a minute here with those around you to do that as we uh, play in the background quietly. prayer as your people imploring you to demonstrate yourself to us in those ways that put in our hearts and in our lives your character and your nature and your will we know Lord that you desire to give us more and more of you and we don't want to wait to heaven to experience more and more of you We want to grow into people who are led by your Spirit so that we bear fruit for the cause of Christ, that we would be a people of God gathered for purposes larger than ourselves, but that together we would be a unified body about the mission 
that makes your heart beat strongly. So, Lord, we ask for love. We ask for peace and gentleness. We ask for hearts that know grace that we may extend it to others. For each one in this room, Lord, we ask for the kind of care that the body of Christ demonstrates to one another so that we can continue to become people who plead for your spiritual riches. In the name of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Go ahead and get back to your seats for a little bit here. We're going to go ahead and uh, sing in just a moment. If you're looking for our church home and you're a baptized believer in Christ, we'd like to invite you forward to place membership with us at First Christian Church. Or if you'd like to publicly declare Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord in the waters of baptism, we ask that as we stand to sing, you would go ahead and come forward.